Welcome to Recruitment Down Under, the APSCO Australia podcast. Recent months have been incredibly difficult for many businesses and their employees, affecting the financial well-being of many. The government's early access to super and other support measures have assisted in the short term, but as coronavirus restrictions start to ease, it's time to take a longer-term view. Join SunSuper's Brian Parker, Chief Economist, and Joshua Van Gestel, National Education Manager, for this podcast as they discuss how the future economic and legislative horizon may look. Brian and Joshua will also discuss key superannuation considerations for employers for the year ahead, the implications of the market volatility and early access to super measures for employees super, and how you can help support financial well-being into the future. Welcome to Recruitment Down Under. Hi, everyone, and thanks for listening. I'd like to first thank APSCO for this opportunity to record this, this special episode. We do acknowledge at Sun Super, and we know full well that recent months have been incredibly difficult for, for many businesses as well as for employees. And perhaps even for some of you listening, you have had um, have been affected by what we've seen unfold. In a superannuation sense, the government's early access to super and other support measures have assisted many members in this in the short term. And we've also seen the severe falls and volatility that were occurring during uh, March and April start to show some signs of reducing. But as coronavirus restrictions start to ease, I think it is important that we do take a longer-term view, especially from a superannuation and investment sense where longer-term objectives are very much key. So to go through this, I'm Joshua Van Gestel, I'm Sun Super's National Education Manager, and I'm joined today by Brian Parker, Sun Super's Chief Economist, someone who knows all that there is to know about the world and Australian economies, what's going on at the moment in investment markets and how this translates through to people's superannuation. So nice to be joining you again, Brian. Thanks, Josh. Good to be with you. And uh, my thanks too to APSCO for the opportunity. And um, before we start, you know, there's a really important paragraph we had to read out, Josh. Um, before we start, I need to let you know that uh, what we're going to talk about today is general information only. Uh, any advice doesn't take into account your personal situation. Uh, you should consider your circumstances and think about getting personal advice before, before acting on anything we discuss. Uh, you can also get a copy of SunSuper's uh, product disclosure statement from our website, or you can call us on 13 Thank you, Brian. That'll make our compliance team very happy. And, and uh, basically, people can choose to ignore whatever we say now. Um, so, or maybe, or maybe probably, what you say, perhaps, you know. <laughs> certainly what I say. So can we probably start with the obvious, that we, we know there has been a lot of market volatility and that there were significant falls um, across most asset classes, especially during February and March. Can you just give us a bit of a stock take as to where things sit at the moment? What's the sense of things? Well, let's go back a little bit. Yes, you're quite right that the falls we saw in in share markets around the world were really quite staggering. Um, Unprecedented is a really overused word, but it really does um, apply to that those few weeks where markets seem to be absolutely in free fall. In fact, if you looked at the speed with which markets fell um, and just the speed with which panic um, flowed through world financial markets um, and also just the speed, the depth of the fall in such a short 
period of time, it really was worse than the GFC in that sense. Yeah. Now, um, what we've seen since then is that uh, the economy, uh, both here in Australia and around the world, has really started to validate, um, really sort of started to fulfil what markets were expecting. Um, whenever you, I mean, markets tend to be very forward-looking, and so markets were always going to react to this coronavirus outbreak um, earlier than the economy, but certainly the economic numbers we're seeing um, really across the globe have been every bit as bad um, as most economists had actually feared. So this really is the worst uh, global recession uh, in any of our lifetimes. Um, and you really are seeing some staggering numbers in terms of um, losses of output, losses of employment. Um, and those, you know, those losses are mostly continuing. Um, now, here in Australia, uh, we've not been immune to any of this, so clearly our markets have also um, seen very, very sharp falls. Uh, we've seen huge job losses. We've seen higher unemployment. Now, the measures that the government have put in place to try and protect people's incomes and maintain and maintain that link between um, workers and their employer, um, that has actually helped keep a lid on the number of people officially classed as unemployed. Um, and and that really is a good thing, but it doesn't actually negate the amount of pain that's out there. So um, this really is a, a major, major downturn in the Australian economy as well. Now, um, what we were also seeing, and you already touched on this, is you've seen markets start to recover a bit. You've seen over the last, well, certainly started in, in, in April, and it's continued a little bit in May, is you've seen a fairly sharp recovery in share markets. Um, and that's a, obviously a good thing. Um, but does this mean um, that we're entirely out of the woods and uh, the world will quickly heal and that there won't be setbacks, um, there won't be disappointments? I don't think we can say that. It's still a very, very uncertain environment. So even though the recovery we've seen in markets has been good news, um, I just think it's too early to get complacent about this. Um, there's still lots could go wrong. Um, there's still uh, lots of potential setbacks along the road to recovery. So I think that's kind of where we are now. And I think we'll probably unpick some of that, but if I could perhaps just start with those unemployment numbers, mm. where do they stand at the moment and thinking also about APSCO's membership? Yeah, look, I think um, if you look at the magnitude of the, the job losses, um, I think that the headline unemployment rate only rose by about a percent, 6.2%, um, from 5.2 previously. But a lot of other indicators paint a much worse picture of the labour market. So, for example... Um, Sun Super's own uh, job index. If you look at the, um, if, look, if I look at March and April in, in total, and look at the uh, the number of vacancies for permanent jobs, it basically halved in two months, which is pretty dire. Um, and the fact that unemployment only rose by one percent, um, that really does reflect the fact that it's, it's more a function of the way uh, unemployment is actually measured. So, um, if when the ABS statistics people ring you up or contact you and say um, uh, are you working? If you said no, um, they then say, well, did you look for work in the last little while? And if you said no, well, firstly, that's a really obvious response because there's no work and a lot of people uh, were in isolation. Um, so there, there literally were no, no jobs to look for. Um, but officially it means because you did not look for work, you are officially counted as not in the labour force. Um, you're not measured as being formally unemployed. So when you actually add back in people who are not in the labour force, they're technically unemployed. And so once they actually start looking for work again, which is likely to happen over the next little while, you will inevitably see unemployment continue to rise. 
um, or rise a lot, a lot further. It may not rise as far as perhaps some people had expected earlier, uh, but you will see, uh, I think in the short term, uh, another jump in measured um, unemployment once those people actually get out and start looking for working in. It's going to take time for people to be brought back, onto, brought back into employment. And if you think, if we move away from employment and just think about where, where we uh, work and in superannuation, we've obviously seen a lot of press about the numbers we've seen in volatility. Um, we've also seen a lot of press around liquidity concerns around uh, superannuation funds in general. But in reality, and I think we'll come to some of the things that are happening for those people that may be unemployed. But in reality, what's all this meant for people's superannuation balances and actually meant for superannuation funds? Well, what it's meant in terms of returns is, is that all the super funds have suffered significant falls in the, in, the, in the returns. So you've seen very, very sharp negative returns both during the March quarter and especially during the month of March, which was particularly sharp. Um, and so um, how have individual members been affected? That Much of that depends on how they've been invested. And so um, if, like the majority of members, uh, you've been invested in a, in a balanced or a growth um, fund, particularly a balanced fund, um, you've probably seen losses of, you know, somewhere between 10 and 15%, depending on the fund, at the, at the worst of it. Now, since then, thankfully, you have seen a recovery. You've seen during the month of April, the median or typical super fund did recover by about 3%, but it's still down um, from, the, from its recent peak. So um, we've got a fair way to make back. Now, um, those members um, who are invested in those, in those funds typically uh, tend to be um, those members in the, what we call the accumulation phase. So they, um, a lot of them may have many years to come before they retire. Um, and so... Um, these sort of losses, these sort of um, this sort of crisis, if you like, that we've seen, um, this is the sort of crisis that it, it, it's even though it has been kind of unprecedented and, and certainly worse than anything any of us have seen, um, it's not the first crisis that, and it won't be the last crisis that those members will have to face. Um, and then market downturns, recessions, um, financial crises tend to be tend to happen quite frequently during the course of anyone's working life. And so um, what this means is that um, in return for, if you like, accepting that volatility and accepting that uncertainty, the, the reward you get for it is higher long-term returns. Um, and so this is a, a reminder that superannuation is a very long-term investment. And so if you are relatively young and you are still invested in a, in a balanced or a growth fund, um, provided you understand that superannuation is a long-term investment and that um, these crises tend to come to an end and you end up, markets end up recovering and moving on, um, then there's nothing you really need to do. But for those members who are perhaps closer to retirement or in retirement, if you're invested in such a way that you're losing sleep at night, if you're invested, you know, maybe if you're invested a bit too aggressively, maybe you're sort of too exposed share markets. Now, a lot of those members, I think, have really felt, felt, been through an awful lot of stress in the last few months. This is why it's so important to make sure that the investment you have suits your particular phase of life, suits your appetite for risk and your financial needs and financial goals. But if I can pick up on a few things you mentioned, particularly for those that might be some time out from retirement, we've seen a lot of people make decisions around their investments to reduce their exposure and, and perhaps move to more conservative investments. We've also seen 
one and a half million Australians choose to withdraw up mm. to $10,000 from their super. And we know from the data we're seeing from APRA that a very significant, significant number of those people are younger, uh, are in their 20s and 30s. Although recognising those are decisions they've felt that they've had to make, either to give them comfort or to give them some finances, what is going to be the long-term impact of that on top of what you're, you're actually saying? And, and with actually making those decisions in the current climate? Well, it's a really good question, Josh. And look, I fully understand why people would feel the need to, especially given that even though the government has supplied, has come up with a lot of support for a lot of people, there have been people that have fallen through the cracks and it has taken some time for that money to start to flow in a meaningful way. And so I think a lot of people um, did take advantage, as you said, you know, Many, many people have taken advantage of this. Now, what does it mean? Well, sadly, it means that all of the things being equal, um, if you're drawing down from your um, super fund today, um, you have less money for compound interest to work its magic on, if I can put it that way, which means that all other things being equal, the size of your retirement nest egg will be somewhat smaller. Now, what can you do about that? Um, well, you, one thing you can do is um, let me think of it, let me take two case studies if you like. If you've actually taken this money out and you're thinking about it as look, this is just in case money, so that I'm just going to park it somewhere and if I don't get my job back quickly or if I can't get enough government assistance or whatever, I can use this money. But um, if you end up um, not needing to use that money, I'd encourage you to think about putting it back into the superannuation system. Um, and if that's not the case, if, you, if you're unable to do that because you do need that money to get through this, um, then once things do start to improve, once you do start to, your, your personal financial circumstances begin to improve, do think, if, do think about topping up your super. Do think about, well, if I can, maybe I should think about contributing a little bit extra um, just so that I can maybe make up that shortfall um, for when I go to retire. But I fully understand this, these are really, really complex issues. This has been the most stressful time for so many people out there. And so, um, you know, it may be some time before many people are in the kind of financial position where they feel they can actually top up their super again. And I think it's probably important to note that although we've seen one and a half million people so far apply to access their super, that... Post 1 July, they'll have that opportunity again, uh, either for the first time or for a second time to take out up to $10,000 again. So I think we are going to see that impact, that impact grow. And probably for those that may have staff or them themselves that are thinking about um, accessing from super, certainly you've given them... Uh, some considerations to think about but but I think it's very important that come 1 July um, that they're aware that it is a process that they can do through MyGov if they need that money that it's not something you do directly through your superannuation fund and it is a very easy and very quick process and and I think it's been interesting seeing a lot of people actually um, taking advantage of this but but whether there will actually be some additional thought and consideration before they may choose to dip in a second time. I think the other thing to bear in mind as well, and I think you already touched on this earlier in the conversation about liquidity and how super funds have been prepared for this. Now, um, 
the good news is, and again, I can only talk from Sun Super's perspective, but I think this applies to most major super funds anyway, um, is that you know we've regularly been required to stress test our liquidity for a range of different market environments, including some really, really adverse market environments. In other words, to look at our investment portfolios and say, what would happen if um, a whole range of bad things happen, including what would happen if this whole list of bad things happened all at once? Um, how would we, um, would we be able to continue to meet um, members' demands for liquidity? Would we be able to continue to manage the fund prudently? Um, and the answer from some super's perspective, it's, it's, and, again, and again, it's the answer from most major super funds, I believe, is the answer is yes, um, is that our liquidity position has remained strong. We've been able to actually meet members' demands for liquidity um, comfortably. Um, in fact, the demands on um, liquidity um, for some, from some super members has been actually well within um, the previous limits of our stress test, if you like. So in that sense, it's not been something that we've been surprised by. We've been able to manage it. Um, and so we haven't been forced to sell, for example, any of our unlisted assets. Um, we've been able to draw down on liquid assets to actually meet members' demands for liquidity, both for early withdrawal, but also um, a relatively small number of members moving a fairly sizable amount of money out of balanced and growth portfolios um, and into cash and capital guarantee portfolios. Have you got any sense just on that point, especially with seeing that markets have just started to to uh, not be as volatile as they were? Have you got any sense of perhaps people moving, in fact, the other way, that they, they are now starting to take the opportunity either to get back in uh, to more growth-orientated investments or, in fact, uh, they might be people who are wanting to just dial up their growth exposure while, while investments are much cheaper at this point? Oh, it's a really good question. Look, at the moment, and, and the people who actually moved um, into cash and capital guaranteed who became much more conservative during the crisis, and depending on the exact timing of when they did that, um, some of those people are clearly regretting the decision because markets have recovered. But what we find is that, and, and some of those people are, are, you know, have been getting in touch with their contact centre and saying, mm. gee, I'm regretting doing that, maybe I should do the reverse. Well, that effectively means that you've really crystallised those losses and you're buying in after markets have risen. But um, So that's something you really need to get advice about to actually make sure you understand the trade-offs there. But we're talking about a relatively small number of people here. In fact, we only had, out of you know, 1.4 million members, really only a few thousand people. Uh, do that. Um, and what we've also found, and it goes to my point earlier about how aggressively you've been invested. Um, so those members in our, for example, default option, which is a life cycle based strategy, um, those members um, who are sort of approaching retirement are already invested more conservatively than members who are you know, younger and invested in the balanced uh, portfolio. Now, out of those members, we saw a lot fewer of them um, switching during the worst of the crisis. Um, the majority of the people who actually um, were switching, uh, at least if I look at the people who invested in the sort of life cycle, um, only literally one to one and a half percent um, of uh, people at those sort of those pre-retirement years, yep. only one to one and a half percent of them actually switched. Whereas people in the life cycle approach, um, who, sorry, the people who were not invested in the life cycle approach, who are also approaching retirement, more like 14% of them actually moved, um, right. which I thought was interesting. So it goes to my point that if you are invested appropriately for your stage of life, then faced with a crisis 
such as coronavirus, um, you may not need to do anything at all um, because uh, any losses you've made are much, much less than the losses you saw on stock markets and they're losses that can more easily be recovered. Um, and that's, that I think is important. But I always call it the sleep at night test, Josh, as you know, that if you're doing something with money which is causing you to lose a hell of a lot of sleep at night, that's like your body telling you that you're taking too much risk. Well, I'll, I'll come to a final question in a moment, but I think on that point, um, you have put a lot of work into the information that we've put on our website. Um, we do have our COVID-19 hub that you can get through get to through our homepage. And I think very much that goes to some of what you've been speaking about um, and also points to some of the other considerations you've, you've actually raised around the importance of solid advice and, and also thinking about what's, what are the implications of decisions that you may make. If I could throw to you a final question for your thoughts and I know I know I'm probably putting you out on a limb a little bit here but if you were to think about your chief economist crystal ball and you've talked to some of this um, earlier on how do you think things will move in the short term unless we see something major and unexpected again hit us how would you actually see things play out in the coming months Oh, that's a good question. And again, um, the crystal ball is very foggy, obviously, especially at a time like this. But um, my sense is that we do start to see a recovery emerge in the second half of the year, um, that it's started to become clear that the, perhaps the worst of the job losses are perhaps behind us, and that certainly applies here in Australia, uh, but it's also starting to emerge maybe um, in some other countries. Um, but one thing I think is going to be the case is the, re the recovery when it happens is going to be, um, it's going to be slow, it's going to be gradual, and it's going to be uneven. And by uneven, I mean um, the performance in recovery is going to vary between different countries, different regions, different industries. Um, so there are going to be some industries and regions and countries that will actually come out of this considerably better um, and others that will lag. Um, and which bucket you fit into will depend on a whole range of factors, including who your trading partners are, um, how heavily are you exposed as an economy to, airline, to things like airlines or tourism or travel-related industries, because they're clearly going to lag considerably. Um, how, um, what's, how well have you contained the virus? So in other words, what's the risk you get a second wave? Um, that could actually do even more damage to business and consumer confidence if you get a second wave and people go, well, we're back again. Um, so I think it's going to be, I do see a recovery. I see a gradual recovery, um, but it's going to be uneven um, and it's going to vary dramatically across industries, countries and regions. Well, Brian, I'd like to thank you on behalf of APSCO in, in this case for your time. Um, I would encourage everyone that is listening, if you do want more insight from Brian or if you do want more information, that you can go to our website at sunsuper.com.au forward slash COVID-19. The other thing to be aware of is as an employer, uh, there is also information there that can assist your uh, employees even assist you 
beyond what we've discussed today. Um, we realise a lot of people have immediate financial need. We understand that a lot of people need things to happen now. And so we've actually got a range of resources that are available there um, from government support sites through to financial, financial counselling services and a whole range of other resources to assist not just our members um, but to assist the broader community and employers um, in assisting their employees. So, Brian, before we wind up, any closing thoughts or remarks or words? No, I think that just to acknowledge, Josh, this is a really, really challenging time. Um, we've not seen anything like this facing the world economy um, and the, or the Australian economy for many decades. Um, and so, as I said, these really are unprecedented times. But every crisis, every recession, every downturn comes to an end, bar none, that life and the economy and markets um, does go on. Um, even from the worst of um, circumstances. And I think that this crisis will prove to be no different. Thanks very much, Brian. And to everyone who's listening, thank you very much for your time. We hope this has been uh, beneficial for you. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Recruitment Down Under, brought to you by APSCO. Join us next time. If it's happening in recruitment in Australia, we'll be talking about it.